Welcome to the Athlete Geeks Podcast, where athletes and geeks collide. I'm your host, Bakari Spells, and tonight we have a, we got an action-filled, got an action-filled episode as far as the 140-pound division goes. We have a look ahead into the heavyweight division. Tyson Fury made some career decisions that has some implications on what should happen with some big-time fights down the line. And, um, you know, before we get into any of that, I want to touch on the situation in Ukraine. Uh, nothing political, just really want to give a shout out to the Ukrainian boxers. Uh, just several of them that went home to defend their home country when they didn't have to. They had easy access to run away. They had easy access to seek asylum or, or seek refuge and would have been justified in doing so. Uh, you know, war is a horrible thing and, you know, there's nothing I want more in this life than world peace. So prayers and blessings to anybody affected by what's going on overseas and prayers and blessings to Ukraine and Let's just pray for peace. Um, with that, let's get into the episode. <clears throat> so first, I want to start with the Josh Taylor recap. Um, the last time we talked about Josh Taylor and the Jack Catterall fight, I said that this should be pretty easy for Josh Taylor. I said he may experience a ring rush. He may not knock Buddy out, but I predicted him to knock him out in like the first five rounds. But um, what was all wrong? And not only was all wrong, I actually turned out being surprised. Jack Catterall was more than a live dog. He was a very proficient boxer. He boxed Josh Taylor very well from the outside. Josh Taylor was so uncomfortable on the outside. Um, he knocked Taylor down twice. Twice. And yet, Josh Taylor still came out with the win. Uh, it's, I'm not going to get into a scorecard debate because I'm not a judge. And honestly, it's kind of pure to see that there is some home cooking. It was in Josh Taylor's home country, Scotland. Um, it's, if you're watching the fight, even the way the ref was kind of breaking things up and taking points away, and it was just the ref was way too involved. That's another factor of the fight I didn't like. It was an ugly, ugly fight. Jack Catterall came with a clear strategy, which was to get his shots off and then tie up Josh Taylor. And neutralize his inside game. That's because that's what Josh Taylor would get going is his inside game. He worked inside out. So um, Josh Taylor would try to get going inside. Jack Catterall would tie him up. And, you know, he was allowed to continue with the excessive holding. And they were both holding a lot. But Jack Catterall was allowed to continue with the excessive holding. Well, until the ninth round, I believe, before a point was taken away. And then that honestly would let Josh Taylor win more decisively. But Josh Taylor punched Jack Catterall in the stomach, walking back through the corner after the ref, after the bell, and thus that resulted in a point deduction, and, and drama ensued. So as you're watching the fight, heading into the championship rounds, so 11th and 12th round, Josh Taylor really needed some clear, clear, clear rounds to get the win, and he didn't get those. The judges still sided with him, and it's Jack Catterall's fault for putting his foot off the gas because he had the, he had the win in hand through round seven um but unfortunately things didn't then go in his favor and give me one second i got a daddy emergency
and I'm back, folks, man. Crisis resolved. But anyway, that's all I was saying. So Jack Catterall had a strategy. He he executed it flawlessly. Um, the only thing that I can, I guess not flawlessly, the only thing I'll take away from him is that he took his foot off the gas and that allowed Josh Taylor to to land some emphatic punches, but nothing, there was nothing Josh Taylor did that was impressive. There was nothing Josh Taylor did to win that fight. It was given to him. And so that leaves you asking what's next for Josh Taylor. Um, at the 140-pound division, nothing. Josh Taylor's gone. He's leaving. He's at 147. And that may also lead into the decision by top-ranking subsequent judges um, to give Josh Taylor the win so he could walk into 147 as a champion and have the ability to immediately challenge Bud Crawford, which is what Bob Aaron's been talking about for probably the last year and a half, um, is trying to vault Josh Taylor directly into t- Bud Crawford. But if Josh Taylor fights against Bud Crawford the way he did against Jack Catterall, Josh Taylor won't make it out the same fighter. Because Bud Crawford is a much more punishing puncher than um Jack Catterall. He's a he's a better boxer. Um, you know, I've I've heard stories about Catterall being in cancer, Pacquiao, Mayweather, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. But he had the opportunity to get Josh Taylor out of there and he didn't execute. So um, that's never been a problem with Bud Crawford. The Bud has you hurt. He's going to finish you. Uh, I think every fight on his record is a knockout except maybe two. Um, Josh Taylor, he has to do some soul searching, man. I don't really know if it's a change in the corner. He has Ben Davidson in there. I think Ben Davidson gets sound advice. I just think Josh Taylor wanted to do it his way. He went in there looking for a knockout. It's not like he had like this planned out box, Jack Catterall. He just went in there looking for power shots, but he couldn't. He couldn't set up any power shots because he didn't set up his jab. And I don't know if it's because he no longer believes in his jab or it's, it's never been like his his go-to. Um, he likes a lot of inside work and he likes that right hand. But I think establishing the jab will open up a lot of stuff for Josh Taylor in the future. He's a pound-for-pound talent, guys. Uh, everybody has blips. Um, Teofimo Lopez had blips. Mayweather had blips. Lomachenko has blips. Uh, Tyson Fury has blips. Etc. Etc. The list goes on. Uh, this says nothing about this young man's career, but hopefully he can find something, find whatever kind of magic he needs to find because 140 the pound of vision is, is is bursting at the seams. So even though he's leaving, there's still gonna be people that follows him out, and that leads us to our next fighter, Jose Ramirez. Now Jose Ramirez just fought. Like you're hearing this podcast probably Saturday afternoon. He just fought Friday night, right? So, he was his last fight was against Josh Taylor. It was a unanimous decision. Um, you know, Jose Ramirez suffered two knockdowns in that fight, and it really broke his confidence. And you heard a lot of to the lead about the fight of you know him just trying to bring out the dog in on no more Mister Nice Guy, finishing motherfuckers in the ring, et cetera, et cetera. And he was really emphatic on that in his pre pre fight meetings. And so he's fighting someone called Jose Pedraza. Forgive me if I'm butchering his name. I'm really bad at rolling my R's. But Pedraza is a really skilled fighter, but he's not like a super strong puncher. So it's it's a safe fight for Ramirez unless it goes to scorecards, which this fight did. And so, subsequently, it was a tight fight. Um, I was really happy with what I saw from Pedraza. I was surprised at how much he gave Ramirez in terms of resistance. Um, Ramirez came out really efficient the first two rounds, and... He really showed that he was trying to emphasize the dog that he was looking for so far in these fights. 
but um, you know, he strong body punches, a lot of good body work early on. Uh, he focused a little bit too much on head hunting in the second round, but early on, Ramirez, a lot of good body work, a lot of emphasis on controlling the ring. He controlled the ring well the whole fight. Uh, he was always on his front foot, being the aggressor, cornering Pedraza on the ropes on the in the corner, and then when Pedraza would try to escape the rope of the corner, he let him follow him out with a body shot and break him down for the end. And then you could see, you could see the effects of that strategy take place later on down the road in the fight. And um, you heard you heard Pedraza talk about his rehydration strategy, so you know at the weigh in they had to weigh in at one forty, but. You know, they hire nutritionists and shit, and, you know, they play with it. They tinker a little bit to figure out how much they can lose and then rehydrate to. So he found out, like, 160 was the most he could weigh and then, you know, lose all that weight before weigh-in and then rehydrate to that weight, you know, for a fight and moves around. You know, he, he tried to test it out as far as the shit, see how it works. So Pedraza was doing that, so he came into the fight at 160. So he was solid, but, I mean, remember, I – I think I told you the first time I saw Pedraza, he was a 130-pounder, so we're talking about 10 pounds later. Um, you already weren't a strong puncher at the division you came up from. Now you're coming up 10 pounds higher. So it was a good idea to put the weight on. I think it helped him get through the fight in terms of physicality, but also in terms of condition, I think it hurt him because that was a lot of weight to carry for 12 rounds. And the, the activity rate was just, it was popping in that fight. It was a lot of back and forth. It wasn't an opportunity to rest. Like I said, Ramirez was stalking the whole time, so Pedraza had to do a lot of dips and slips and cuts. And then when he did get cornered, he was getting peppered with the body shots. That's taken away from you. So you can see Pedraza's legs started to give out um, in the back half of the fight. Not that he couldn't still maneuver, but, you know, the shots he was able to avoid starting to connect. And he, he catches himself in more firefights and exchanges just because he doesn't have the energy to, to skip away. And then that allowed Ramirez to start sitting down some more of his punches and hurting him. And honestly, it helped Pedraza a little bit to sit down and slow down when he got tired because when he sat down on his punches, I'm not going to say he caught Ramirez's attention, but Ramirez definitely felt it. And it wasn't enough to stop him from his strategy, but it was enough for him to be cautious and then, you know, work your head movement, work your shoulders, do your defense, bob and weave, et cetera, et cetera. And when you're doing all that, you're not throwing, which would give Pedraza a respite. So the only difference between the two was Ramirez, you know, essentially punching to kill, and Pedraza was punching just to box. And he boxed beautifully through through spurts of the fight. It was probably like a three, four round stretch where I thought Pedraza was going to win the fight, just because he seemed like he figured out Ramirez's timing. He figured out he could take what punches he could take, what punches he couldn't, so he knew what to look out for. Um, he did a good job of tying up when he got in the inside and using his free hand to score free shots. I mean, Pedraza is a very crafty veteran fighter. Um, it was scored. I mean, the, the separation was probably two, three rounds at the end of the day. It sounds like a lot, but it's not because those, every round was close to me. I mean, there were some rounds I thought would have went to Pedraza early on that he lost to Ramirez because Ramirez got some extra hits in or, you know, he kept his foot in the gas until the whistle blew. And sometimes Ramirez early on caught himself keeping his foot onto the gas after the whistle blew. Not the whistle, the bell blew. My bad. I'm still, I just watched the NFL Combine last night, man. So, whistles, bells, stripes, all that stuff is just, you know, jumping in my brain right now. So, with that being said, Ramirez did eventually uh, emerge victorious. He did not knock Pedraza out, out, but he did handle him mightily, a uh, physical fight. He was just too big for him. He was more of a natural fit for that division. He'll be even more natural fit at 147. 
But he says he wants to stay at 140. And this is where it gets interesting around 140, right? So you have Josh Taylor going out, which means he's going to then subsequently drop all his belts, right? And then that'll start getting parched out through the sanctioned organizations, through the mandatories, et cetera, et cetera, which is why it's good for Ramirez to position himself in a fight like this because, you know, it keeps him high in the contender rankings. And so, um, you know, he'll get another shot at the belt. And he says he just wants one before he moves up. But if the biggest threat in your division is gone, why not see if you can stick around for a little bit more and see if you can unify or, you know, become undisputed? Because at 147, one dude has two belts and he's on his way to getting third. And I'm talking about Spence versus Ugas. And Ugas can very well walk away with three as well. And now you have no leverage when it comes to um, becoming the world champion, which you say is your goal. So I think it's just smart to stay around at 140 because Spence isn't really trying to fight anybody that he thinks can take his belt. Um, Bud Crawford. I think ego plays a large part in his decision making. So the uh, Josh Taylor fight, I think he's eager to take just because you know the Bob Bob Barron thing is probably annoying him. But you know, it's a case by case basis. Uh, we're gonna take a short break, and then we're gonna come back and discuss the heavyweight division, and we're gonna wrap things up, and then we're gonna give you a short preview of what's to come in the coming weeks. Thanks for sticking with us. And we're back. So we talked about some of the income talent coming into the lightweight division. I mean, the super lightweight division with Josh Taylor leaving. Jose Ramirez staying. Pedraza sticking around. Devin Haney probably making his way up soon. Teofimo Lopez making his way up soon. So you have some talent coming in that division. And you have some intrigue there as far as what talent is going to walk away with belts. But if we go into the heavyweight division, some of that's already set in stone. Um, Alexander Usyk has... One, two, three of the four belts, and those with him. Um, he's defending those as well as his country in Ukraine. And the other person that holds the belt is Tyson Fury, the WBC belt, which he which he's defending on April twenty third against Dillian White overseas across the pond. So that should be a banger. But Tyson Fury says it's his last raw. Saying he wants to act in movies or some shit. It's gonna be pretty trash, but maybe the WWE will have him. But uh, this should be a dub for Tyson Fury, but that just off pedigree alone, 
But the last time I saw him fight someone not named Otto Waller, and it was, I mean, I'm sorry, not named Deontay Waller, it was Otto Waller. And Otto Waller, who's a, a good heavyweight, but not a championship level heavyweight, in my opinion, gave Tyson Fury a run for his money in the first half of the fight, put him in danger of losing the fight early because he had a cut above his eye that might have had to get stopped. I mean, it was a bloody, bloody affair. Tyson Fury loved it, was acting wild. Um, but if if Dillian White turns out to adopt the strategy and come out and fight a fight like that, not saying that he has a merit of fighting style, but he gives Tyson Fury more than he expected because Tyson Fury, because of his arrogance, probably can't be prone to so slight overlooking of people, um, especially given his natural ability and his natural height and length. Uh, it's harder to reach him with shots that matter. Um, I think he, I just think he can afford to figure out Dillian White. And I just don't think he's gonna be a threat. Dillian White is just uh, to put it lightly, he's washed. So I mean, it's Tyson Fury will win. Uh, there'll probably be no need to activate the rematch clause if there is one, indeed. And then I mean, he'll retire, and so that'll put one belt back on the line. And which I would assume Deontay Wilder would be up next to contend for another fight. And then that will put Anthony Joshua and or Alexander Usyk on a collision course with the hardest puncher in boxing. And that is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. And then you have, you know, some prospects coming up through the top rank system. Jared Anderson. If, if Tyson Fury retires, that has to speed up their plan because they then they won't have really a heavyweight with a stake. Um in the heavyweight division with a belt, so that Jared Anderson is their best prospect in that division, and he might be able to move up and do something like that, but you don't want to rush him too much. It really just depends on who grabs the mandatory and who grabs the belt. But um, I just don't think Tyson Fury, man, will he actually retire? I don't know. I don't, I, he's, he's taken a long layoff before uh, due to mental health issues and, you know, dealing with his sobriety and just trying to become a better all-around person. So I think he has a pretty good stock of himself. Um, what what does he have left to prove? He's beaten Klitschko. He's beaten Deontay Wilder three times. Uh, he's tried to make the fight with Anthony Joshua, allegedly. Is it? That would be the only thing I think would bring him out of retirement is that fight particularly. And maybe him retiring is him being allowed to control the narrative a little to bring him out of retirement. Because then that'll sell tickets, and then that'll create revenue for top rank, and then blah, blah, blah. The business of boxing. But I just don't know if this is an entertainment ploy or this is actually what's going on in his head. And until we know that, it's kind of hard to to figure out what's going to happen with the rest of the division because, honestly, that division's top-heavy. It's not like there's a whole bunch of talent up and down the ranks. Um, how does that affect top rank? They lose a premier boxer, uh, probably one of the only few pay-per-view boxers outside of Lomachenko who – Depending on who Lomachenko fights, may or may not be pay per view because his promotion is just different uh, when when it comes to appealing in the Americas. So um, ESPN has to figure out how they're going to change their uh, well, let's just say top rank. Top rank is going to have to figure out how they're going to change their promotion, uh, their promotion strategy, their promotion policy when it comes to promoting these boxes because, um. The, the fights that are free that come on TV, I mean, shit, the quality is it's debatable at best. And then the fights that are middle of the pack come out on ESPN Plus, which is cool. Once again, that's talk of access. 
So how are you going to talk about driving up revenue for a sport that nobody normally watches for free? And now you ask them to pay for it. Um, and you don't, and you don't have a fighter worth paying for it. That's a lot. That's a lot. So, uh, they have some of the light, lighter weight divisions. Uh, Shakira Stevenson, um, the Uthal Bud Crawford at one forty seven, but at one forty, I mean, like I said, Ramirez, who I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but it's not my fault that they make a name for themselves. So, um, I hope you guys have a blessed weekend. Thanks for tuning in to the Afghan Podcast. Remember to always respect women, and once again, most importantly, always respect yourself. And we out.